You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. All right, well, thanks for having me. I tried to show you guys how picturesque New Jersey is. You're not buying it. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, as we are going to look into your word and specifically look at a book that for many of us we don't understand, we truthfully try to avoid, um, may you help us to, undersee, to see the richness, the beauty, uh, the message that you have through this book, that we would see how great you are, that we would be in awe of you. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to look at a book that most of you avoid. How many of you are thrilled to read the book of Leviticus? Gee, no one. Um, the first time I was ever at a pulpit, if you, it wouldn't be, have been called a pulpit, it would have been called a bima, but the first time I ever preached, it was out of the book of Leviticus. I was 12 years old, preaching on burnt offerings. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not exactly a topic anyone wants to deal with. Um, with all your friends sitting in the audience and... <laughs> Um, so, but there's something that I ended up realizing, uh, as I teach on hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpretation, how do we rightly interpret the word of God? Uh, I, I was teaching through that once and going through the book of Leviticus and noticed something. Uh, there's actually ways to know the purpose of a book. Okay. The, the thing, if you want to understand God's word better, it's good to first know going into reading any book of the Bible, what's the purpose? And sometimes some authors are really kind and they're nice, and what they do is they tell you exactly their purpose. Like John, you know, I write these things to you. Oh, thank you. Now I know the purpose. Not always is that the case. And Leviticus would be one that if I was to ask what's the purpose, many of you would think that it's to put you to sleep. And if that's not the purpose, it's a bunch of laws that we don't need to worry about anymore. And so people think that, well, okay, I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to start at the beginning with Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Psalms. That is how many people do it, right? But yet there is some richness that we overlook in this book of Leviticus. Now, I do happen to know that Pastor Jim is going through the book of Hebrews. There is no way to go through the book of Hebrews without a good understanding of Leviticus. Um, and I know that he's challenged you guys to go through Leviticus at least once, well, okay, once a year, I think is what he told me he said to you guys, so that should get you through about 12 times before he finishes Hebrews. Um, just, just saying, going at the pace he goes, I'm not judging. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are here at the conference, did you notice he, gave, he didn't give Jason a hard time at all? He ripped on me. The only thing he gave Jason a hard time was Pluto not being a planet. Like, that was it. Like, really? After the abuse I got. Um, 
But the thing is, I want you guys to notice something, and I'm going to actually give you a homework assignment on top of what Pastor Jim gave you. When you go through the book of Leviticus this year, I'm going to give you some words and phrases that I want you to highlight as you go through your Bible. And I think if you do so, you're going to start to see some things like we're going to go through today and some repetition that's going to help us with an understanding of this book. Okay? Now, I said that I plan to go through the entire book of Leviticus in less than an hour. And Justin said to me, are you going verse by verse? Yes. We're going to go verse by verse. There's about 859 verses. So, okay, don't worry about it. We're, we're actually only going to look at about a dozen phrases that are repeated. So there's, they're only in, they're only repeated about 450 times. So still, okay. Well, they only appear in about 315 verses. So technically, we're only going to look at about a third of the book. Does that make you feel better? There's only 27 chapters. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do this so it's a little bit bigger for you. So it's more easy to read. And I, someone said, are you just going to hit the highlights? Yes, see, I highlighted them. So it's going to make it easier for you. Because I want your eyes to focus in as we go through this. There are certain words that are repeated. Like I said, the, a dozen words and phrases that are repeated 450 times in 859 verses. That's a lot of repetition. Repetition is going to help us to understand the meaning. If I do my job well today, you'll actually be excited about the book of Leviticus, like I did. I actually enjoy reading Leviticus now, because I look for these phrases, because these phrases actually show you that I think the gospel message is presented better in the book of Leviticus than maybe any other Old Testament book. We think of it as a book of laws that are boring and for the Jews of old, for the nation of Israel. We don't think it has much application to us. But let's take a look at some of these repeated phrases that we see throughout and see if there might be something here that we could still learn from. So first off we see, now what I've done is I've limited the verses only to the 450 verses that have our phrases. So the phrases we're going to look at first is without blemish. This is talking about sacrifices. Now, let me help you out. About a third of the book is going to deal with sacrifices. Okay? A third of the book is going to deal with the people who present sacrifices and how they're to be presented. And then the second half of the book, or the second third of the book is going to, we're going to see, it's going to give uh, where all those laws are that we try to avoid. So the first half is dealing with offerings and sacrifices. The, the first two-thirds, the, the last third is going to deal with laws. And that's how most people think of this. But even within there, there is a message that we end up seeing. So if we first deal with without blemish. So, so when there's an offering being given, it has to be without blemish. It has to be perfect. Now, of course, we realize that no lamb is going to be absolutely perfect, right? There's going to be some flaws, but you have to give your best. Now, this kind of, you know, if you think about it, if you have to give a you have sheep and you have to give of your sheep, you want the best for you and you'll give the, you'll sacrifice the leftovers, right? That's how most people do it. You know, if, in their, in, if they if they're, were not given laws where they have to give the best, Right? Isn't, isn't that how human nature is? We want the best for ourselves. We'll give the leftovers to others. You know, our church has a, uh, 
does like a food pantry type thing where they have clothing and all that. And there's a, it's always amazing how the stuff that they get is never new. <laughs> Gee, I, I got all the stuff in my house I got to get rid of. Here you go. I'll give it to the church. <laughs> right? God, God is saying if you're going to give an offering, it has to be without blemish. It has to be the best. It has to be perfect. And we would understand that any offering that they're going to give is not perfect, but there is an offering that we know of now with hindsight that will come that will be perfect, right? And so we're going to see this throughout this book. So the offering has to be, by the way, a male, by the way, just throwing that in for those who want to say that, you know, why couldn't God be a female? Well, the sacrifice that God required for some reason should be a male without blemish. And we could look forward to a Christ that would come that was a male without blemish, that really was perfect. But you see, one of the first things that we're going to see is that the offering, the sacrifice that is going to be given, has to be without blemish. Then notice the second word that we start seeing right away being repeated that's highlighted is accepted. Not only does an offering, a sacrifice is offered, but it has to be accepted before the Lord. So you see that this perfect offering is offered as a sacrifice, God's the one that accepts it. And when he accepts it, what does it do? Well, we see a third phrase that's repeated in verse 4 there, make atonement. See, when the offering is made and it's accepted by God, there's atonement. In other words, the debt is paid. The wrath of God is satisfied. So you see, now we would understand if, you've, if Jim has gotten past chapter 1, verse 1 um, of Hebrews, well, okay, he has. But <laughs> that we know that when we have this atonement, right, when Christ was the atonement, that the wrath would be satisfied. Okay? And so we, we understand that there is a, so when we look at the gospel, we also know from Hebrews that the Jewish people understood that when they offered up a sacrifice of a lamb, that was not actually doing anything other than being a picture of what would happen. They understood that they were offering a sacrifice, but the sacrifice was something that was picturing a future event. So this atonement would be made, now it wasn't truthfully made in that sacrifice, it ultimately it was made in, in what Christ did on the cross. We understand that. But just looking through this, here you end up seeing that there, an offering, a sacrifice must be offered without blemish, it would be accepted by God. He would make atonement, and it would be a pleasing aroma. Now, you're wondering, well, okay, that, those don't look like they're repeating that much. Well, I really want to do something that's going to be a little tedious. And yes, you'll probably hate me for it. But if you do this as you go through your Bibles and you look for these dozen words and phrases, I'm going to show you how often they show up, and we're going to repeat them. So we have without blemish, accepted, and I'm going to read these, and you can see on the screen, for those who can see, that I'm not repeating the same verse, okay? But let's look at how much some of these things start repeating themselves. Without blemish, accepted, accepted, make atonement, pleasing aroma, without blemish, pleasing aroma, pleasing aroma, pleasing aroma. Oh, we get to a new one, most holy. Get to a new phrase. The word holy means to be set apart. Okay? God is set apart from us. Some people say that that means that God can't be in the presence of sin. 
They have a real trouble when they get to the book of Job. What in the world is Satan doing in his presence? In fact, what are all the sinners going to be doing in his presence when you know, they're being judged? Well, if you're thinking just that, actually you aren't thinking far enough because you're forgetting that God's omnipresent. You know, God's in hell. So we always hear people share the gospel that you know, hell is a place where God's absent. No, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Hell's just a place where there's no relationship with God, but he's there as judge. He's everywhere. But being holy means to be set apart. Okay, we're sometimes called saints. I know we don't we think of that as like the Catholic Church, maybe that there's some special people, but if you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. You know why? You're set apart. The word for saint comes from sanctify, which is to be to be set apart. We're going to look at that word later. It means to be set apart, where this is the idea of something that is set apart. God is set apart from us because he's without sin. But God's set apart from us for a much different reason. Because he has a nature that is nothing like ours. So much different. Immensely different. I mean, we think we would like to be omniscient because we'd like to understand our spouses. We probably wouldn't like to really be omniscient because we would know all the thoughts of, like, everybody. We don't even want people to know our thoughts, right? And yet God is so set apart in his character. You know, God cannot lie. Some of us wish that our spouses would be like that, or better yet, our children. <laughs> but God's nature is different than ours. And the fact that he is he's most holy, okay, that he requires a most holy sacrifice. Now, would, would any lamb be holy the way God is holy? Well, no, it really wouldn't, would it? it it's a really, really, really bad substitute. Which helps us to see why, when we think about the sacrifice that the Israel would make, it doesn't compare to the sacrifice that was made on the cross. That comparison of a, of a, a lamb to God. No comparison. Because God is set apart and holy. And that is why he's going to say that a, that a sacrifice made to him must be holy. So, now to be a little bit tedious, let's keep going and keep reading all the repet, repetition. We're only in chapter 2, by the way, verse 9. Pleasing aroma... Most holy, pleasing aroma without blemish, pleasing aroma without blemish, pleasing aroma without blemish. This is getting a little tedious. Make atonement without blemish, make atonement without blemish. You're seeing there's some things that are repetitive here. Pleasing aroma, make atonement without blemish, make atonement. Oh, we get to something new, unclean. Now, we're going to start to see it here, but we're, this is really going to build out in this, the second third of the book. So let's deal with what uncleanness is dealing with. So something that's unclean, if we're going to be in God's presence, if a sacrifice is going to be offered, there has to be, you, you, the person who's presenting it must be cleansed. 
They can't touch anything that's unclean. And it goes through a whole bunch of different things that would make the person unclean. In other words, if you're not clean, you're not in a right position to be able to even offer the sacrifice. And so what you end up seeing here is that God has all these restrictions, these rules that we might think are tedious and, oh, it's so much to have to go through. But really what he's trying to communicate is a message. We're dirty. We're not clean. We need to offer sacrifices so that they would be accepted that God would make an atonement. You see, that is what you end up seeing throughout this. With all of these things, there's an overarching message to Leviticus that he's trying to communicate. It's not that there's just all these boring things about burnt offerings and dove offerings and fruit offerings and this one and that one and all. That, that sounds so dry. But now what we start to see is really there's a message he's, why he's laying all that out. He's trying to communicate to something. And because, well, okay, maybe it's not you guys. Maybe it's just like me that like, needs a lot of repetition because I don't learn very quickly. So I'm sure it's none of you. But maybe it is because God seems to do that a lot in the Bible is repeat things because maybe many of us need to hear things over and over. And I, Throughout this book, you end up seeing as we go through that a lot of this starts repeating. Shout, he's going he's gonna to make atonement, make atonement. Holy things without blemish. Okay, make atonement without blemish. Make atonement without blemish. And notice, I'm not. This is these are all different verses. Okay, so you're seeing how often this is repeated throughout this book. Okay, a pleasing aroma. And he's going to get into things that are most holy that he's going to describe as being most holy. He's going to describe things that are unclean things, unclean beasts, things that are, are going to be detestable, things that are not going to that are not appropriate. Notice, there's a right and a wrong way. For sacrifices. There's a right and a wrong way to, to approach God. That's important to know because you know what? There's a world outside that's dying, going to hell, because they think that they should have the right to decide the right way to approach God. If you do any kind of evangelism, you find on the streets very quickly that the real issue that people have with not accepting the gospel is because they think that they have the right to decide the way that God should accept them. It's by their standard that God should accept, be accepting. You have these guys that profess to be atheists and they say, well, you know, I just don't think God exists because if God exists, He would not allow whatever it is. He wouldn't allow babies to die. Oh, so who died and made you God? I mean, you get to set the rules? You see, what we're going to end up seeing is that God has a way that we are to approach Him. And we're going to get to why that is in, in, a, in the last third of the book. But what we end up seeing is where we would want to keep the best for ourselves, okay, and give leftovers to others, God says, no, you're going to give your best. There's going to be a reason. So as we keep going, we see more of the pleasing aroma, make atonement without blemish, without blemish, make atonement, make atonement. By the way, I'll give you some of the hints on my color coding. Anything you see in red is an imperative. It means it's a command. Uh, just the way I've color-coded my Bible. Some of you have read a red-letter Bible where Jesus spoke. I have a red-bolded Bible that's red and bolded, so I could tell the difference when Jesus gives a command. Uh, and anything that's blue is, an, is a, uh, a definite article. It's just how I, just so I, when I read my Bible, I could quickly pick up things. I, I see Pastor Jim looking back there going, oh, I got a hint from my logos. <laughs> I'll teach you how to do that. <laughs> Um, and so what we end up seeing is repetition. Now he starts talking more about holiness. Okay, now we get to, ver to chapter 11. Okay, 
You see a word that's showing up, it actually shows up in chapter 11 28 times. What's the word? Unclean. All of a sudden, we're now in the next section. He's, he's really focusing on this unclean. All these things that are, you know, you do this, it's unclean. Oh, this is unclean. That's unclean. This is unclean. In other words, there are things that are clean and things unclean. There's things that are proper for God and things that are not. And when we stand before God in, in, in human effort, that's not clean. Anyone remember an offering that didn't end so well for two brothers? One was accepted, right? One wasn't. One had his own idea of how to do an offering, and it was in an unclean way. In other words, God actually has rules for how we are to approach Him, how we're to do things. So as we keep going, because this, is, this chapter just focuses, focuses all on things that are unclean, and now in verse 44 of chapter 11, we see a new phrase. And we're going to see this one a lot when we get to chapter 18. I am the Lord. So I'm going to hold off on that because we're going to get to that one in a bit. And we see another phrase that's highlighted there. Be holy for I am holy. Now can we actually be holy like God is holy? Definitely not this side of heaven, right? But guess what? We can't even be as holy as he is holy on the other side either. Because he's still set apart from us forever because he is self self-existent we're never going to be that we might live forever but we had a beginning right there's a whole lot of things where god is totally separate from us and will always be so we can't really be holy as he is holy yet that is exactly what he commands us to do that's the standard we are to be holy as he's holy and we're going to get to that a little bit more when we get to chapter 18 but what i want you to see in these first couple chapters is his focus here and I'm just clicking through so you see how often this is repeated. Okay? The idea of making atonement, the whole issue of cleanliness and uncleanliness, of being cleansed, being clean, making something clean, not doing things that are unclean, being, avoiding that which is unclean. I mean, you're seeing this throughout chapter 13, right? whole bunch of stuff about being clean. Why? Because... Again, as you see in chapter 14, verse 10, God wants an offering that is without blemish. And the person who offers it must be cleansed. And as you go through this, and you see all this repetition, you could start to wonder, well, what really does this get to? And really where it gets to, as we continue to go through, when you get to chapter 18, we're going to start to see now the third section. And you're just, I'm scrolling through so you could see that, I mean, I could actually sit here and Repeat all of these phrases, and you'd be bored. But if you start highlighting this in your Bible, you're going to see these things throughout the book of Leviticus. And when you get to chapter 18, he's going to start talking a little differently. And now, let me back up there. In chapter 18, we see he starts saying this phrase, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. And I'm going to show you how often this is repeated. What's the idea behind here? Now he's going to give all these laws. You know those laws that we try to avoid reading. They bore us. He gives the law and then he says, I am the Lord. Or I am the Lord your God. Or the other thing we're going to end up seeing repeated, be holy for I am holy for I am the Lord your God. What are the purposes of all those laws? Is basically to say he has the right to tell us how to behave. He has the right to tell us to do whatever he wants to. 
where we want to keep a sacrifice the best for ourselves and give leftovers to, as a sacrifice, God wants the same thing. He wants the best for himself. It's not a sin in his, in, in his, for him because, well, he created everything. In other words, he has the right to demand of his creation whatever he wants because of who he is. Okay? And the thing that we end up seeing is when we look at all those laws, what God wants us to realize is that he's God and not us. That's a hard lesson. How many of you parents enjoy when your children think that they're the boss of the family? What's the phrase that usually comes out of parents' mouth? I'm mom, I'm dad, I'm the parent, I'm in charge, I'm the authority. Right? We, we understand that when we're in the position of parent... <laughs> And we, there is a relationship there where there is the expectation that you are to obey the parent because they're the parent. Right? Well, we are to obey the Creator because He's the Creator. And that's what He wants us to understand here. All these sacrifices, they weren't real sacrifices that were going to make atonement, but they pointed to a sacrifice that would, didn't they? They point to a sacrifice that would occur in time on a cross with a truly unblemished sacrifice. And when he died, the Father accepted it. And that would make atonement. And that would be a pleasing aroma to God. But here's the thing that's so interesting here. I'm just going to repeat these. And notice, these are all the verses. I want you to see how often he says this, starting here. You, you start to get a message that, of what he's saying. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Then he starts a little bit about uncleanness. I am the Lord your God. You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God am holy. Interesting. All these laws that he's giving about holiness and separate living and living a holy life, he says, you do this because I am am God. And because I'm God, I'm holy, you must be holy. You see, the reason we're to be holy is not to try to earn salvation. The reason we're to be holy is because God, our creator, demands it because that is his nature. He's holy. This is something that we overlook. This is basically what God is doing to Israel, is setting their perspective. He's correcting a perspective that just in our human sinful nature, our perspective is on self, and our kind of worldview is usually, if we're going to be honest, and especially you can see us with people that don't know Christ, their worldview revolves around me. If you don't believe it, talk to any millennial. Because they've been taught that there is no God. And you start to see what ends up happening in a humanistic mindset. I'm the center of the universe. You really want to see it. Come to New York. You know what it's like when you get lots of millions of millennials together? <clears throat> yeah. They, they all, it's amazing because they all think that they're the center of the universe, right? What God is doing for Israel is to say, you're not the center. He's the center. He has all these laws and all these rules, not because he just wants to give them rules, not because he's just some legalistic tyrant, He's giving them these rules because he wants them to know that he is God. An interesting thing that's written 
in a later book, was it me or? Okay, I have an open air preaching voice, so I could just do that. Let me know when I should. <laughs> so here's the thing. And later in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy was written just before Israel goes into the promised land. He talks about holiness. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You see, he's repeating this over and over. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Kind of like we need the repetition to be reminded that he's God and not us. He continues to say, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. This is just repeated throughout this book. Okay, are we on? Good. I didn't want to. I'd blow out the speaker. And so now look in 21, verse 8. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, look at the next phrase that we haven't seen yet, who sanctify am holy. This is where I think that we get to see the gospel now is presented in the book of Leviticus. See, not only was there an offering that had to be without blemish, not only did it have to be accepted to make atonement, which would be a pleasing aroma to God, because he can't, be, he can't have the uncleanliness, things must be clean. He has all this because he is God, but he who is God sanctifies. And remember, we already said, that is that he makes holy. Now, he's saying in Leviticus that he will, he will make these offerings holy, the sacrifices. He'll make a people holy. He makes places holy. But the point is, it's God who sets people apart. It's a work that God does. So many people that they want to get right with God, so they say, but they want to do it on their terms. And yet, what we end up seeing is, as it says now in verse 15, I am the Lord who sanctifies. Now you start seeing this throughout the end. He keeps saying, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. But he's going to start repeating that he's the one who sanctifies. And he's... Did I skip that? Yeah. So what you end up seeing is, throughout the rest of this, he's going to talk about him being sanctifying. He's going to talk about holy things. So basically, here's what you have. As, as we can continue going through this, I'm going to just flip through so you can see them. Actually, let me flip up so you can see how many, he's going to mention a number of times here that it's God who sanctifies, right? Here's again in, verse, in 22, 16, I am the Lord, the God who sanctifies. We start seeing about this whole idea of, of without blemish again, no blemish. He's going to start talking about that again. I am the Lord who sanctifies, and so we end up seeing all of this that he's trying to say. We start seeing the idea of a pleasing aroma again. So when we think of Leviticus as a bunch of talking about burnt offerings and sacrifice and, and laws that we don't understand, let me break this down easier for you. What he's trying to say to us, and I'm, I'm flipping through so you can see how much it's repeated, and this is why I say in your Bibles, I'm going to give you the phrase at the end that I want you to look up. You some of you I know have already been trying to write them down. But highlight these. I cheated. If you get Lagos, you can cheat too. <laughs> if you want a discount on Lagos, let me know. I'll tell you how to do it. But um, what you end up seeing here is he's trying to say he's the Lord. He's the Lord our God. He's the one that's going to sanctify us. He's the one that is going to say what, what sacrifice is right and what is wrong. And whether we're going to be in his presence 
clean or unclean is going to make a difference. He's going to say we have to be cleansed before we could be in his presence, before we could be made holy. He's going to say that we have to offer, that there has to be an offering of a sacrifice that is without blemish, that has to be accepted, and that accepted sacrifice makes atonement. You see, the gospel's right there, isn't it? Gospels throughout this book, it's just we don't notice it because we're not looking at repeated words. But the way to know a purpose of a book is to look at the repetition. We've only looked at a dozen phrases. Here's the phrases. Without blemish is one. The word accepted. The word make atonement. And I can provide all these to you if I, I'm going quick, but I, you know, I could give them to you. Um, pleasing aroma. Holy or most holy. Clean unclean, uncleanliness, cleansed. So that's all different phrases of the same thing. And then, I am the Lord. And who sanctifies? Those are all the phrases that I have. If you look in this little box right here, which you probably can't read from that distance, because with my eyesight, I can't even read from this distance. No. <laughs> but that's all that I did. I just put those phrases into there and said, give me all the book of Leviticus where I have those. And we got those 315 verses. 450 times in 800 verses, 859 verses. It's repeated that much. That tells us the purpose of Leviticus. Leviticus, the first, first two-thirds of the book is basically saying that we must have an, a sacrifice that's without blemish in a cleansed way so that it would be accepted by God, be make an atonement, and that would be a pleasing aroma before God. And in the last third of the book, basically all he's saying, with all those laws that we think of, he's saying, he's God. He's the king. He has the right to dictate to his creation because he is holy. It's part of his nature. He's set apart. And because he's set apart, he says we must be set apart. But as sinners, we can't be set apart. That's the whole reason there must be a sacrifice. That's the whole reason Christ came. Christ came to be that Lamb of God that was without blemish. That Lamb of God that would be accepted. That Lamb of God that would make atonement before God. That we could be sanctified. So we could be set apart. Now I hope that this kind of gives you a different perspective on a book that many of us try to avoid. And I know that Pastor Jim has asked you to read through Leviticus in preparation for Hebrews because it is important to understand Leviticus as you go through the book of Hebrews because so much of the Hebrew mindset is in Leviticus and that's what Paul or whoever, <laughs> whoever wrote Hebrews, some dispute there. <laughs> I, th I do think it could be Paul. But, <laughs> but whoever, is, is, whoever wrote Hebrews is arguing for they have a mindset of Leviticus. Okay, so reading through Leviticus will help. But I wanted to encourage you with this because th just by using the tools of hermeneutics, of looking for a purpose of a book, I think Leviticus has a different meaning than many of us probably walked in thinking it had. I hope that you walk out of here saying, you know what? Leviticus is not all about rules and sacrifices. It's really about God and His holiness. And the fact that we can't just rush into his presence any way we want as sinners. No, there has to be a sacrifice that's without blemish and acceptable to God, not to us. That's the biggest thing when evangelizing that comes up. 
Biggest thing is that people think that God should accept them on their terms. No, it's it, who accepts it? Of course we're going to accept our own sacrifice. <laughs> here's, here's my leftovers, God. I think it's acceptable because I'm offering it. But does the person who's receiving it accept it? Right? And so God accepts this sacrifice that makes atonement. It's pleasing to him. But throughout this whole thing, he wants us to understand that he is God. He's the Lord. He doesn't demand on us to be holy for no reason whatsoever. He wants us to be a people who are holy, who are set apart from the nations around us, from the people around us, from unbelievers. He wants us to act different. He wants us to be holy because He, God, is holy. By the way, that may change the way many churches, if they understood that, view politics. Because many Christians think that the politicians will solve the moral issues in the country. Never going to happen. Especially with this president. He doesn't understand morality. Right? The, but the thing is, we as a church should be acting so different that the world would know we are a people of God the same way that when Israel entered into the promised land, all of those nations looked at the law of God and said, they got God on their side. This, these laws come from God. These are the people of God. People should be able to look at our lives as a church and say, that's the people of God. They act like no human would act. They are different. They are set apart. Why? Because we, nothing within ourselves, clearly, but we had a perfect, unblemished sacrifice that was made on our behalf. We're the beneficiaries of it. We were made holy. We were sanctified. So you can honestly say, if you're a believer in Christ, that you're a saint. The question is, do we act like it? Let's pray. Lord, we, we look at this book and it is something that just really is a joy to read through when we see what you reveal. It's amazing for us just to meditate, to sit back and meditate on how holy you are, how great you are. We often think that we understand things and yet we look at the world and we get puzzled with what we see when we see people who are just not understanding things as clearly as we, as we do. And we forget sometimes, Lord, that you've changed us from the inside out. You've opened our eyes and removed a veil. And we understand you better. We understand the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Lord, may you help us to love every book of your word and look for the richness that is within every book. Lord, I ask that you would help us to, to look at this and, and look at this book with, with a new light, looking to see how holy you are and how great you are and what you've done on our behalf in the sacrifice that you made of yourself. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. 
If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.